podcast. podcast. Do do Podcast. Two hoes. Two hoes. Four house on the hill. From Delco. Four house on the hill. Boop, oh, boop. yeah, that's a Hello, good morning. Good morning to you. I'm on like my fifth cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm drinking, I, I had some uh, Coke left, <laughs> Coca-Cola, and I'm drinking that right now. It was from the other day, so it's kind of flat. Uh, that's gross. I know, that's my life. Um, also, my voice today I feel like is a little strained and low probably. I did like... Uh, the Philly. We're gonna break it up. Hold on, what? Oh, okay. My um, uh, voice is weird today because it's like a little strained, and I hope I'm not getting sick. But it's like um, strained. But oh, well, that's a problem. I can't talk to you. <laughs> not if your voice is strained. Can't stand it. I'm just putting this out there for our listeners, Maureen, to... They probably um, feel the same way I do. I have, really annoying. That thanks a lot. What'd you do to strain your voice? I'm just... You knew we were podcasting today. I'm sorry, okay? I just <laughs> want to put that out there, um, that I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, it just everyone's going to have to deal with it. We're just going to have to work through it all together. And, that was a really um, horrible policy. Get this podcast done. Mm. for our tens of listeners, um, and... Mm-hmm. I know uh, they're waiting. Yeah. They're especially they're... waiting to hear about our uplifting topic today. Yes, you're listening to Two Hoes from Delco with Beth Heinley and Maureen Cummings. Uh, my name is spelled B-E-T-H, my last name is H-E-I-N-L-Y, and Maureen's name is M-A-U-R-E-E-N, <laughs> last name Cummings, C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Thank you for that insight. And uh, I didn't do capitalization, but you can assume that the beginning of our names are capitalized. We're not hipsters like that. Uh, One could assume. But uh, we. I, I actually don't really capitalize my name all the time, so like my Instagram, it's uh, all lowercase. I know that's because you're you're a millennial. All millennials um, only like use lowercase to. That's because um, I started it. I yes, that and shit. all millennials think that they started everything that happened on social media. <laughs> Their first album was better. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, our topic, let me tell everyone what our topic is. Uh, so, as usual, well, usual being, we're, we've only been potting for like a year now, but we like to do uh, especially uplifting episodes during the holiday season for our <laughs> listeners. And last year we talked about alcoholism for Christmas, and this year we're going to talk about euthanasia. Euthanasia, the good death. The good death. Um, and um, I love this topic. Marine so loves death, and uh, well, no, you don't love death. You love euthanasia. You love good death. And I love the good. I think you know what. I think there's a lot of. Faith. I think that when I was younger, I had a preoccupation with like the fear of death. Mm-hmm. Now I have realized there are many fates worse worse than death, mm-hmm. and um, 
it is, I think that our society considers it to be always bad and our, you know, medical establishment considers it to be like the worst thing. And I don't think that's true. Which is actually a, a legal, a huge legal problem for euthanasia is that um, doctors take the Hippo- Hippocratic Oath and uh, they believe that even if you're terminally ill, that to give you the good death would be against, it's against their oath as being a doctor. But charging Which you like no a harm. shit ton of money is not against their oath at all, of course. Right, but. <laughs> right. Do no harm. Yeah, exactly. Which so that just means make sure the patient doesn't die and and charge as much, you know, whatever. Not, yeah. not all doctors are like that, but that's how the medical establishment works. There's a lot of money at the uh, end of end of life to be made there. There's a lot of money it to sure be made is. there. Yeah, you kill the person, you can't make that money, which is another reason that probably you know the veterinary industry looks at it a little bit different because the veterinary industry doesn't have insurance. Uh huh. And, um, yeah, so there's not as much of a pool of money to be made from it. So we are uh, a little bit more nice and we treat our patients with a little bit more dignity, our cats and dogs, and we don't make them suffer through months of decline and pain just to reach their death. Well, which comes into um, the discussion is, like, what is quality of life? Like, what what is the point? And if euthanasia, for instance, for human beings was legal, again, we're talking about a profit for-profit healthcare system. So yeah. if it becomes legal, then you get into the implications, well, what if you're paralyzed and you don't like to be alive without being able to walk? It's, like, a really depressing part of your life and you don't want to go on living anymore because you can't uh, experience life uh, as everyone else does. It's, you know, um, am I being ableist? I think I am. No, I, no, I just want to apologize so. for that. Think, no, but no, because that's, you, no, that's completely valid from a medical perspective. Yeah. You know, the quality of life, like there's checklists uh-huh. for like animal euthanasia about quality of life and like things like, can the animal move to go to the litter box? You yes. know, yeah. that, that is definitely a part of quality of life. And, uh, you know, I, I was just going to say, my response was just going to be that it's subjective. Uh-huh. Each person would decide differently. Um, but wouldn't you, know, you agree that... I mean, go ahead. Well, sorry, wouldn't you agree, though, that in a for-profit system, that the morality involved in that decision-making could get a bit skewed? Like, for instance, it would be, um, like, doctors, you could, like, let's say you own a euthanasia business, and... Uh, you are the whole goal of your business is to charge someone to kill themselves, and then wouldn't it be in um, uh, favorable view for your shareholders, which I hear Jeff Bezos say all the time, to get as many people euthanized as possible? No, because you can only do it one time, so it's very limited for profit. So I guess you would make more money uh, the other way. I I think that's probably why it's part of why it's illegal in America is because you know, we want people to be taking a pill every day for like an entire lifetime so mm-hmm. that the companies can continue to make a profit off of them. So it doesn't, their suffering doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They need them to consume these medications and services and whatever. Yeah. Whereas, if, you know, if someone could 
could make the decision without feeling guilt, without feeling like they were going to go to hell, Mm -hmm. without feeling like they were abandoning their family. You know, if people were allowed to make these decisions in a way that, you know, was empathetic to their experience. Uh Um, And like, we certainly have the technology to give people uh, like a nice painless death. Mm-hmm. You know, that they can sort of, like, plan out how it's going to happen, and then they have agency in the situation, and they, you know, they can maybe decide the time frame. I just went off on a whole tangent. That's okay. But, that, um, that's yeah, what this podcast is for. Yeah, I there's a fun. whole big profit to be made from the euthanasia industry, unless you're talking about, like, having big, giant euthanasia parties that are, like, weddings. You know? I actually had... Like, that could happen. I had this dream, and I'm I'm probably gonna. Well, I am. I'm gonna draw a comic from it because I like to draw horror comics. And I had this dream that um, I it was me. I'm I was like suffering from like severe depression, and euthanasia was legal in this like future um, society that I lived in in my dream. And yeah. uh, I went to a euthanasia clinic. And the way that they do it, actually, is they put a whole bunch of people in a cremation oven together, and they hand out um, tabs of acid. And in then, your dream? In my dream. Yeah. They hand yeah. out... You're, so you're in the cremation chamber with a bunch of people, because it's cost-effective to kill a bunch of people at once. Or, I'm sorry, euthanize a bunch of people at once. So, um, and then they paralyze you. They give you a shot that paralyzes you. And then they, um, everybody, they give everyone a tab of acid. So you hallucinate, um, on your last, like, seconds before dying. And they, like, close the door behind you and there, there's, like, a speaker in the, uh, chamber that describes, um, to you what your final moments will be like to try to, like, soothe you and calm you down, like... You're, you might feel extreme heat at the last moment. That's just, you know, the cremation chamber, like, heating up. But you're not, you will not feel any pain. And it, it just, like, uh, goes through the whole steps. Um, but at the time, I, I was just watching a cremation happen. It was, like, part of the tour. Like, because I went to this place to see if I wanted to, like, die there. And, um, and, it was, and this uh, was all in your dream? This was all in my dream. It was owned by okay. an inter- interracial gay couple this euthanasia uh-huh. clinic. Um, and then, but so, and whatever, I was taking the tour, but at the same time, like I had this revelation in my dream that I thought it was kind of disturbing that it was commercialized to like this level, like, yeah. ma- and making this like really serious decision. But I also felt like I was being, uh, taken advantage by this like interracial gay couple who was running a euthanasia business. And it was, it was like really, uh, creepy. I don't know. I, in any case, it just made me think like, okay, what are the possibilities if euthanasia was legal in a, for healthcare, for profit healthcare, uh, system? Um, but at the same time, I mean, I do agree with you. I see your, your point that they would actually, it's advantageous to keep someone alive because in this for profit healthcare system, you would make more money from a living patient who's dependent on, pills, you know, all kinds of medicine and, um, other, uh, accompaniments to old age, like canes and walkers and wheelchairs and, you know, so oxygen tanks. So, you know, I guess it's, it's different, but then also like, they need us alive, Beth. They need us alive to make money off of us. Do we need depressed people alive though? Like, 
I mean, because then that's the other thing. That that opens up like a whole other topic here. With do depressed people have the right? When when are we doing euthanasia? Me personally, I am. I am very like. I am super liberal about uh-huh. euthanasia. Like, I think people should be able to make their own choice. And I uh-huh. think, in general, criminalizing something like that to, like, protect the public from it, the same way I feel about hallucinogens and cannabis. Like, ju- no, like, don't put sick people in jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, these are things that we're talking about that, like, are very... These are people who are suffering for whatever reason, whether it's cancer or like a horrible intractable depression mm-hmm. or something like that. Like our society is like putting people in jail for like helping these people. And I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. So like, I really ultimately think that like, it's, like it's kind of, if you want to euthanize yourself, it's none of my fucking business. Why? Unless I'm your family member, your friend, your therapist or whatever, who's like doing my job of like trying to support you through this. You know what I mean? Like it, it can't, like euthanasia, obviously like in our culture, maybe it would be bad because like people want an instant cure for everything. So, are, you know, then are people going to be like, I have depression. I've been depressed for three months. Like, I guess the only fix is killing myself. Like, I mean, I don't know in that sense, I guess that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would need to really have uh, a lot of, like, counseling and stuff in place mm-hmm. for someone who was considering euthanasia, obviously. Um, I, again, like, I work in an environment where we're making, helping people make these decisions all the time for their pets. Mm-hmm. So seeing it and working in reality and like when this line is crossed and when the decision is made, like when you really have like someone's life in your hands, another being's life in your hands, mm-hmm. and I'm not even talking about a human being, like you don't make that decision lightly. Well, um, let's, let's just, I just want to say from here on out that I absolutely believe that animals are sentient beings and have so emotions and feelings. I am not, I do not, I think... In science, um, separating human from the animal animal kingdom when it comes to that was like is like a be- makes us behind far behind in science than we should be. Agreed. So yeah, I, agree I do think the the similarities between making the decision to put your cat or your dog to sleep is the same as it would be mm-hmm. for a human being. Wait, we're we're considering it the same. The only difference is like the the pet can't have. In the sense that I can't like speak words about how it feels. No, and that's, um, that's the hardest like the part. That's the yeah. hardest part. We we should let's like to flip this back to cats and dogs here. Um, yeah. But we, so for instance, if a cat has no hind legs and and can't walk, wh- what have we done? We've given cats like wheels for legs and dogs with for wheels for legs, like and cats that are blind, like cats that are deaf, like we obviously believe that there is quality of life beyond um that you know the the able-bodied majority of us there's quality of life beyond that so in any case just to put that there um but the uh um we're talking today about euthanasia it's actually the anniversary of my cat's death um, he was, and he, he was euthanized. He was euthanized on December eighth, two thousand seventeen. It's been two years, 
And I do have to say, like, you know, people are like, oh, time goes by so fast. But when I think about um, Zion and that it was two years when I was thinking about that today, I was like, two years isn't that long. It actually feels like it's been forever that he's been gone. Because, like, it's two years is, like, just too long to be away from Zion. You know, it's, like, really, I, I loved this cat. We were very, very close. He was 18. Um, and, um, when, and I have to say too, like I used, um, uh, I, we euthanized him at home versus, um, when we euthanized my cat, Leona, uh, we, I like, couldn't make the decision to euthanize her at home. Like her kidneys failed and she wasn't even really there. She like kind of went into a coma after her kidneys failed and it was like on the weekend and uh, I was like, so my vet was cl like not available to do a euthanize, euthanize her for me to bring her in. And then on top of that, it was like, I, it was the first time I had to make the decision and I, I couldn't do it. Like I was real, I was paralyzed by like making the, the decision to end her life. And um, I didn't make the call to do an in-home euthanasia and I just made an appointment for Monday and it was the most horrible weekend ever. Yeah, I remember you talking about this. And it was like, it was, I just stayed at home with her all weekend and just cried. And it was horrible. Like, I I like watched her slowly die. And it was like yeah. a really long, drawn out, horrible, yeah. horrible death. That's how it can be. And, um, and then... That's, we, you, that's the thing. If you don't yeah. euthanize, there's a whole other problem. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's excruciating. It's excru it was excruciating to watch her go as slowly and it was a major relief when she was finally put to sleep. Yeah. And was and but through that poor Leona had to go first for me to learn this lesson. And so when Zion got to this point um that he at the end of Zion's um life he it was like his insides were just falling apart I mean that's literally yeah. just the way they described it to me they were like it could be like a cancer he could have a tumor in his brain like all this other they were just saying he was just falling apart he was on yeah and um towards the end like he couldn't even walk anymore he was like walking yeah. slanted or like he was yeah. dizzy yeah so he yeah, couldn't, like it's yeah. neurological, neurologic, we would say neurologic symptoms, probably a brain tumor. Yeah, that's and and that's what it was coming down to, and um, so he couldn't like really go to the litter box. He was losing drastically, losing weight, and um, I had to make the decision. But I, but he was still like conscious, like yeah. so it was very hard for me because I was yeah. like. He can't walk, he can't go to the litter, but I can see that he's still there. Like, he's still Zion. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, because of what happened with Leona, I didn't want to wait until he wasn't Zion. Yes, yes, yep. I thought it would be more peaceful to, like, have him go out as himself. And that's so freaking weird to say about a cat, but, <laughs> you no, know, we are connected, like I said. Um. But I would just like, in any case, so I made the call and I didn't want to take him in to get euthanized. I wanted him to be in his favorite chair and to be like, not like anything was even happening, not make him uncomfortable at all. I mean, cats hate going to the vet. It's like the most traumatic thing for them. So yeah. why yeah. do that in the end? I don't understand. Yeah. Also, at-home euthanasia, one thing I was afraid of was that it was a lot more expensive. It was not more expensive. 
it's affordable. Um, yeah. Can you um, make a shout out to the people that you use? Because I hear about them almost on a daily basis and I everything I hear about them is good. Um, yeah, you know what? I forget what they're called. Uh, well, they're, they're called Lap of Love. Lap of Love. That's um, what it is. Yeah. And I'm not like affiliated mm-hmm. with them in any way or whatever. So, Lap of Love. I say I, on, this, on this podcast has absolutely nothing to do with them. And I but also I, I yeah. hear good stuff about them all the time. It was um, Dr. Bates, actually, was the doctor who came. And I actually met another person in Philadelphia who had Dr. Bates euthanized. I think it was their dog. Um, yeah. And he's like he's like the Dr. Kevorkian of <laughs> animal euthanasia. Yeah. He's very comforting. Yeah. Um, that was the other thing I have to say. Uh, it was like the per- the vet who put Leona to sleep, I did not like her. And it was kind of like I hated her being in the room. It was like that really sucks. weird. Um, that really is horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened. And but like the vet, uh, but Dr. Bates was like amazing, and like they he like came in. Zion was like asleep, um, on his chair, so it wasn't like even a thing. He just he explained to me what he was doing, you know, and he and I was like hysterical, and he's like. He's like, you're making the right choice, like, because mm-hmm. cats also hide how much pain yep. they're in. Yeah. So he's they like, know. you don't want him to get to a point. Yeah. You don't want to do that for him. And he was like, he also said to me, like, held my hand. He goes, if only their lives were as long as ours. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Because, like, that, like, really hit me because there's it is death. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, when you own a yeah. pet... You do everything for that pet during its life to to make it better. And then you get to a point where there's nothing you can do. And it's like you feel horrible about that. Like, yeah. yeah. And, but the thing is, yeah, their lives just aren't as long as ours. So, yeah, they don't have the same lifespan we do. Like they never will. That's a reality. And um, But him saying that to me just really made me feel like I was doing the right thing. That I, because you never feel like you're doing the right thing. Even like your cat's like dying in front of you and you still don't feel like it's the right thing to put them to sleep. Like it's very hard to make this decision. But like, um, yeah, like, you know, and even the night before it was horrible. So Zion, even towards the end when he couldn't even fucking walk, Zion always greeted me at the door. And it was horrible because I knew in the morning he was being put to sleep. I get home from work. I walk in the door and he jumps off his chair and like hobbles over to me at the door to greet me. It was like, yeah, and I picked him up and held him and I was like, this is the last time Zion's going to greet me at the door. Like, it was, and like to, to know that, like, that's the other thing about scheduling a euthanasia. It's like, you know, when the end is coming, like you, it's, it's fucking horrible. It's almost like. It's better to have a quick death, like a heart attack or some shit, than like having the scheduled appointment. It's almost excruciating in a way. Um, yeah, yeah. But sometimes, you know, uh, if you're if you're also fortunate enough to live that long, or to be at a terminal in- illness to that point, that's the difference in your death. You have you have this period of time to contemplate your death, to, uh, plan your, like there, it's just a completely different experience than dying like in an accident or dying in a, um, like getting a, uh, you know, having an aneurysm or something like, or a heart attack or something immediate. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. <clears throat> or dying in your sleep. So, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going off track there. Those were like the major points I just wanted to talk about with, with Zion. It was very peaceful. Um, and they took him away in a little basket and, <laughs> and they like covered, he like covered him in a blanket, um, but kept his like head out. Um, and it was just like, yeah, it was really sad. And then Gus and I, um, sat, we, we live near the Schuylkill river. So we just like went to the Schuylkill river and drank at the river <laughs> for like hours. We just like, yeah, um, Actually, Gus actually had pictures from that day on his phone, and it's just of the river. And they're, like, really peaceful, like, just pictures of, like, the river. I don't know. It was just weird, and he was – it was just weird because it popped up in his memories, and he was like, these pictures are from when Zion died. And then the day after Zion died, um, it snowed, and it was beautiful. And I was like, that was Zion. That's like, you know – um, I know that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, Zion would be but snow, though. He's a Zion magical cat. <laughs> yeah, Zion was... He's a big, he was, ridiculous, white, fluffy cat. Like, yeah. So, way too big. And we, we don't normally get snow early in December. Um, yeah. So, it was really beautiful, like, because... And comforting, because it just, like, blankets everything and, like, makes everything fresh and clean and, like... It was, like, comforting that there was this, like, drastically different landscape from the day before when I had to put Zion to sleep. And then... Interesting. Yeah, it was, like, really emotional weekend. I'm, like, still crying about it over here. Like, it was... I feel like I'm going to cry. It is very emotional. And, like, you know what, though? Like, it is so sad. But, like, there's something about euthanasia of a pet that can be so peaceful. And like it is, yeah. It like I'm. Be acceptance, like it make it like forces you to this acceptance of death. Yeah. Yeah, like of just what's happening, and and like maybe there's like a, it's not like as much of a shock. Like there is again, like there's like an agency that you have in the situation. Like you are making a decision, and that's empowering for people, but especially over something as. It's like the thing you have the least power over in the world and yeah. it terrifies everyone all the time when they think about it. Like a lot of our life is just distracting ourselves from the fact that we're going to die. And, um, you know, having some control over that and over the suffering, I think, is really comforting for people. Because, like, is it good? Is it good to do euthanasia? Fuck no. Nobody wants to do that. That sucks. Yeah. That's horrible. But, like, the whole situation sucks, and and I think that, like, psychologically having some control is helpful. I also want to point out um, that people are, like, and they do this in the office. They, when you go to the vet, they ask if you want to be there, because a lot of people feel like they can't handle it. And, but I've had, uh, vets say, like, they don't say anything to make a person feel bad, obviously, but they're like, you should be there at the end with your pet it's very hard but your pet you're the the their touchstone of life experience like you are the comfort in their life you're their reality like you're the thing that matters like you're god to them yeah like you're love to them like every being like needs connection and you're their connection 
and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, you feel hor- I feel horrible saying this because, like, I, ju- I don't like to judge it when people can't be there. Like, it's a lot. It is, yeah. But at the yeah. same time, like, <laughs> this is your pet. Like, they gave you their whole life. Everything, every second of their life is about you. Like, if you can give this to them, like, that's the least they deserve. Because in the last moments when you are not there, they are confused and they are scared. Yeah. When yeah. you're not there. Like, so, I mean, seriously, you should be there. They're alone, you know? Um, and, like, with Zion, I was, th- he, like, was just asleep the whole time. And, like, he might have, like, woke up a little bit, but he was, like, um, wasn't, he wasn't scared at all. And he, it was, like, you know, really peaceful. And that's the other thing, again, it's, like, you're alleviating this pain and it's it's like i mean death is like it's asleep it's it's you know you're being released from life in a way a lot of pain and a lot of suffering it's it's Uh a rest like i like to think of death in that way it's a rest you know i mean who knows what happens after okay who knows but in reality i'm thinking nothing (laughs) but what is what is so wrong with that well, I mean, why? Say, I mean, I'm exhausted is, now. It's not, it's not really gonna matter. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> nothing that that really won't matter. But I'm starting to think more and more like that. There's more to there's more to experience than maybe just our waking life. That's what I'm starting to think. And I don't think you like go to heaven or something. But uh, what is consciousness? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just plug into something else. Nobody knows. Nobody. Well, the thing is, I actually take comfort in there being nothing, which might be disturbing. That's good. I mean, just, like, being awake and being aware, like, and being alive, that's a part of being alive. I don't know. I honestly, like, think, aren't you fucking exhausted when you come to the end of life? Like, if you're, like, you've, I don't, like, why, what's wrong with there just being nothing? Like. Nothing's wrong with that. I mean, your physical body can no longer support existence anymore. So, like, that becomes, like, immeasurable suffering, whether Mm. there's something after that or not. You know, like, I think it's fine to want that to end. Um, Since I've drank, like, five cups of coffee, I have to pee now. If you could just hold on. One second, I'm going to press pause on the recording. And, really? Uh, I would, I just pee on the podcast. I don't care. Well, I can't carry my computer into the bathroom. Uh, okay. gotcha. I'm not, you know. Check your privilege, right. bitch. Goodbye. Did your pee smell like coffee? No, um, it didn't. And uh, it was actually a really bright yellow color. So are you taking B vitamins? No. Well, usually that is what makes your pee, like, highlight or yellow. Yeah. You're taking, like, a multivitamin with a lot of B vitamins. I think it's, like... No. B12 or something? No. I'm not that I know of. Well, then you probably were that obsessed by aliens or something. I wanted to point out, too, for our listeners that my my beautiful, cute and um, I got him a one month after Zion passed away, pretty much. Um, and he's brought he brought like so much comfort to me in my grieving, like early yeah. on. 
um, that a lot of people like when your cat, your dog passes away, everyone's different. Like if they want to get another dog right away or another cat right away. Um, and it's because like, you're just, you just feel like there's just a hole like in your day to day life because your day to day life when you have a pet, which is like been pretty much my life, like my whole existence. Uh, experience is I feed my cats I clean the litter box I feed them like or and I pet them and I play with them and like I groom them and this is like a part of my everyday life like even when Zion passed and there was no like fur on my clothes and there was like no fur on the on the floor that I had to sweep up now some people would be like that's you know great but for me it was like um, depressing. It was like, you know, I couldn't handle it. I mean, one of the reasons I got a black cat too, because he's a black cat, Beelzebub, is because I was, I thought it was funny in the sense that I was getting this cat to fill a void and black cats (laughs) are essentially little voids. Mm. But I think it's no accident that Bub today, this morning, is being really cuddly and affectionate towards me, knowing it's a it's a hard day. Oh, they know. I mean, they who know? Like we don't know how they experience life or how they experience mm-hmm. us, but like they definitely experience things on a level that we can't really grasp because they know things all the time. Like they can tell, and they make it obvious that they can tell. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, I'm just putting that if anyone's going through this right now and they're feeling especially sad and they're not sure, you know, when is the right time to get another um, pet to make themselves feel better. And it's really personal thing. Don't let anybody make you feel bad for like getting another pet like you're like or or like what the time appropriate timing of grief is or what your grief what your grief is even or how you get through it it's you you take care of yourself okay and you do what you feel like is right for you to to alleviate any grief that you have Um, I 100% agree with you and I encourage people to get another puppy or kitten I think it's the best thing to do I think your pet wouldn't want you to like be alone I think they want you to have new life in your in your life um but at the you know I'm obviously different than other people in a lot of ways when it comes to this stuff some people just like have to go through like a longer grief period but I don't think that I, I think it's weird that people think there's like something less like oh I shouldn't get another pet right away like it's not fair to like Bubby like it's weird that I just said your cat's name mm-hmm. um I wanted to say a random name but anyway yeah so they're like it's not fair to my dead animal but like yes it is come on well, it's, it's, it's just not I mean if it's something within you it's something within you but like your animal that passed away like I feel like they would want you to have company I consider Beelzebub as a pet and this is like the first time I ever like really experienced this because Zion and Leona were like my first cats I've owned on my own. Yeah. Um, they're like, uh, they are mine, you know? Um, but, uh, I consider Beelzebub my pet who was and is like an extension of my grief from Zion. It's this weird connection I have with him where I think that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, honestly, for me, it's a way to, 
it prolong it like prolongs Zion's memory in this weird way and he's a part he's connected to this whole grief process I don't know it's a really strange uh little cat person relationship I have with him that's significantly like Peckers our other cat we got um in March um because Beelzebub definitely needed a companion cat and um, and they're, they're, their temperaments, like, it was, like, the perfect mashup. They love each other. It's they're so cute. Yeah, they're, they're really sweet. Um, but I don't have this, a, a relationship with Pecker, like, the grief extension. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The grief extension. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a weird thing, but. I mean, this is, I hear people actually talk about this all the time. Really? Um, and That's my interesting. dad talks about it. Like, to me, it's, like, a part of, like, basically, like, reality, because my dad has talked about this for years with, like, our pets, our family pets, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like, things like, we saved our dog from our, or our old dog's ball, and, like, the cat would, like, still play with it after the dog died, like, all the time, like, Mm -hmm. the, the ball would, like, sit on the dog's ashes, and, like, you would come into the room, and it would be, like, down on the floor, because the cat would be playing with it. You know, like, stuff like that, um, whether that has to do with, like, the animals imprinting, like, on us and us carrying that, like, over, mm-hmm. um, whether it's just, like, some psychological function that we do that's empty or, you know, whether it's, like, as real as it feels to us. Like, yeah, people talk about it. I've heard other people talk about that. And I've heard people my point being, at the vet clinic talk about it. And my point being is, to, like, if people, like, are saying, oh, you're just doing that to avoid your grief, you're just, like, mm. I'm saying, my point is, is, like, no, it's really, there is, you don't, there's no distinct process of grief anyway. Right, yeah. And, um, and in doing so, like, it actually became a part of my grieving process, and, and it was not, I didn't, avo- it didn't avoid my grief, it became, like, a part of, it, a part of it, is what I'm saying. A way to process a way to process it, and um, it's not avoiding. I don't believe that. I agree with you. Um, And I actually, like, who, can can anyone even really avoid grief? Well, I was just going to say, Beth, I think, obviously, if you live long enough, depending when major losses in your life begin to happen, which inevitably will happen unless you die really young, Mm -hmm. like, you're always going to be in a state of grief and a state of trauma to some degree, and, Mm -hmm. like... I guess that's why it's important for us to, like, try to figure out how the fuck we're going to deal with it on a personal level. Also, I feel really bad. Um, I'm eating candy right now. But it's, oh, my I'm, God. We've never done that before on this podcast. That's so bad. I know. I'm grieving, though. So you all can just shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, which reminds me, I was, like, going, I went to the dentist. Um, was that this week? God, this week's been so long. Um... I haven't been to a dentist in 20 years. Oh, wow. How'd it go? Yeah. I, um, I'm, and uh, let me just put, I'm, I'm also, I'm afraid of the dentist, but also I haven't had health, uh, dental insurance my adult life and I couldn't afford to go. And I also didn't feel like doing, like you could do a, a free dental appointment through like dental school at like Temple or something like that. Yeah. Well, there's like a huge wait list, yeah. you know, um, it takes forever. You have to do a lot of paperwork. So that's also not me. I'm not that kind of person who's organized and likes to do paperwork. So yeah, no, me neither. 
whatever. I just like hadn't gone. And I was, I'm fortunate enough where, um, I actually don't like, I hadn't had any teeth problems. So, you know, I didn't have any like bad cavities here. I am eating candy though. Um, so, uh, whatever, but I finally did, I have dental through the Affordable Care Act and, um, I have a good, I have a good plan as well. It's good dental insurance. It covers a lot. And I went in and, um, yeah, I had like a lot of tartar buildup. It was disgusting. Um, (laughs) but I have, I have eight cavities, Uh right. And you have to pay, uh, there's a copay for filling cavities. So I can only afford to fill half my mouth like yeah. this month and then the next paycheck I'm going again next month to fill the other half of the cavities which yeah. is it's actually it's kind of dangerous and it's also kind of messed up like speak of the Hippocratic Oath like here I'm at the dentist I need to get these cavities filled but I can't afford to fill them all and they're like okay well you have to like re- I'm not going to do that half of your mouth then so they like left me with like half my mouth full of cavities when yeah. Well, what are they supposed to do? Oh, what, are we giving out chocolate, free chocolate milk to everyone, Beth? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, I, that made me want to punch her in the fucking mouth. Uh, you you should have been Clinton. there. When, I know, Hillary Clinton's a client. And so, so is Howard Stern. But we always, I mean, he really is. And I, I've said to you recently, like, I do not like him. Like, yeah, you did. And I said I do like Howard Stern. Look, I would say with in regards to that whole thing, Half of me thinks, I don't know, because he actually, Howard Stern has spoke out saying that Bernie Sanders is a hero of his. He was like one of the only senators who stuck up for Howard Stern in a public speech on the Senate floor. And he was like, Bernie Sanders is a hero of mine because he stuck up for him when no one else did. I'm like, so, I mean, and that's actually a great point because. Here's the thing. I like Howard Stern for his freedom of speech um, and, you know, his openness to to speak on topics. I Like, he, sound, he is a misogynist. He is a flawed male. But he's, like, talks about it and is open about it. Right. Um, in a way mm, that is, like, more it's open and honest like he's dealing with his own shit you know and yeah and i'm i'm for that and i'm like i like to hear opposing opinions or differing opinions than my own and so i'm like totally fine with it and i think he's also funny he's like this like he is funny he's like emotionally flawed like uh you know occupied with his looks jewish male he feels inferiority towards women which is part of like his whole issue and he knows this he has mommy yeah. issues like he's he's a mess and in that sort of way he's funny to me so there those I are hear things. That. All right. yeah those are reasons i'm i'm into it um he does have a voice with like a certain demographic uh working class demographic so but the funny thing is, in the same sense, he's still a fucking millionaire who, yep. you know, has profited off this personality type. And, yep. um, yeah, so in that sort of way, it makes him privileged. I have never agreed, and coming to this point, with his other politics. He talks about his other politics a lot. He is a centrist. Um, he, I, like, I don't politically align with him in any way. And most millionaires I don't politically align with because I am a person who believes that 
taxes should be used to to um, help and care for the general public, and I don't believe that the the income disparity in the United States is um, okay at all. I think like, yeah. like the poverty in the wealthiest um, country in the world should not be um, where it is today, and you know all this kind of stuff. So like I'm definitely I'm like far left whatever. So in that sort of sense, yeah, I'm not going to have a lot in common with a millionaire capitalist, neoliberal, uh, you know, piece of shit like Howard Stern, but you know, whatever. Um, so I wasn't surprised that he was kissing Hillary Clinton's ass. Actually, no, that's what I was surprised about. He was kissing her fucking ass. Like he Listen doesn't... to me. This what? is a key thing. I just read the, what I read about that interview was like, apparently he was fucking coming in his pants about talking to her on his show because he couldn't get her in the 2016 election. She wouldn't go on his show. So this was him finally getting Hillary Clinton on his fucking show. Well, he was kissing her fucking ass, and I would say that's where the interview fails for me. Um, because that's not how like he does he said, it. Huh? He would probably, I said mommy issues. He probably would have said anything to make her, make her like him. Yeah, oh, good point. Yeah, I mean... Uh, but whatever, Howard Stern sucks. I don't I, like. He's not doing me any favors. I don't. Li I don't not subscribe to his fucking show. I barely right. listen to it because yeah. I'm not subscribed. Um, but I'm definitely. He's like. Uh, that display was so fake. And and honestly, like I was saying to you, what I like about Howard Stern is that I think he's not fake, and he's very emotionally raw, um, type of interviewer and and personality type. But that display was not that, which just makes me be like, no, he is, he's fucking fake. So actually, I don't like anything about Howard Stern. Because, you know, that's not why people are listening to your show, Howard, to watch you, like, fucking kiss Hillary Clinton's ass. We want you to, we want you to ask Hillary Clinton to describe the, how much cellulite she has. Or, <laughs> you know, true. or ask yeah. her, ask her, that's like... Does she fantasize about her husband sticking a cigar up Monica Lewinsky's pussy? That's what we want Howard Stern asking Hillary Clinton. Well, I guess he also did ask if she was a lesbian. She was like, no. She's definitely a lesbian. I mean, I mean she is. A lot of people, like, I was talking to my people at my work, and, like, they were like, I, I never heard that rumor. I was like, dude, I had accepted yeah. it as fact for years. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, then when that happened, of course, I was like, well, no, like, doesn't make her a lesbian that she stayed with her husband that was cheating on her with an intern like no it sure doesn't and like whatever she did what she did for her own reasons and good for her i don't know what her sexual orientation is yeah i mean i don't care i don't fucking care i mean oh, of course yes we do we do care though Oh, well, I mean, Me she is care. a lesbian. I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> you would know. I don't care if she's a lesbian. I know because I know people, Marine. Oh. Yeah, that's how I know. Because mm -hmm. you know people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know people. I've known Hillary was a lesbian since the Clintons were in the White House. Yeah, how'd you know that? I can't, short hair I can't talk about it on the podcast. Mm, I, think it, you, I think you just thought that because her hair was short. I... Maureen, I could no way uh, be, uh, what are you, uh, what, a homophobic little piece of shit at that age. I was only 12. I don't, I wouldn't think like that. Maybe you would think like that because all that you had was the information that society had been feeding you up to that point. I don't think I even, uh, like, thought about lesbians when I was, well, actually, no, we had lesbians on our block, so I knew How about you know lesbians. How they were lesbians? 
Um, they well, they did actually. Um, (laughs) they they lived together, and they held hands. They, I mean, they held hands. I don't think I ever saw them kiss, but it was pretty much implied that they were lesbians and they were, you know, they weren't married, obviously, because it wasn't legal. It wasn't legal yet in the 90s, in the 1990s. But it was pretty much they were openly gay. And then I guess, like, I probably knew about lesbians from Roseanne because I did watch (laughs) Roseanne when I was little. And I believe um, one of the characters was, uh, what's her name? Her sister, Roseanne's sister in the show. Yeah, she was gay in the show, right? Yeah. Or she turned gay or something? She turned gay. Because that was what it was in the 90s. You turned gay, you started dressing like a man. And, like, or, she, like, well, and she was a like, truck driver. You wore like a cute little... Oh, okay, she was a truck driver. There you go. Two. You wore like a cute little bow tie and you were like, I'm a lesbian now. We're going way... I don't like men. We're going way off topic, but I, I don't think... Uh, Roseanne ever covered euthanasia, so she's not as woke no? as we thought. No, I'm I don't curious. think she did. I don't think uh, they did talk about euthanasia on Roseanne. Hmm. Um, they talked. I think they did euthanasia on The Simpsons, probably Santa's Little Helper. I think Santa's Little Helper had to die a few times because remember they had Santa's. They had Santa's Little Helper too. Yeah. So. There was a Euthanasia Simpsons episode. I wonder what it was. Hold on. Now I have to look it up. In the meantime, I would like to... Hmm. Hold on. You would what? In the meantime, while you're looking that up, I'm going to talk about... Oh, there's Simpsons Grandpa Euthanasia. Apparently there's an episode with the grandfather. It's called Diepod. Oh, it's a recent one. Oh, well, 2008. I stopped watching The Simpsons pretty much. I would say... When did I stop watching? Maybe... Honestly, maybe 94. Okay. Because I don't think I, I did not watch The Simpsons in high school. I believe, oh my God. And, I watched it fully until my 20s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I literally uh, stopped watching it in high school. Yeah. And not to be like, I didn't watch cartoons in high school. That would be false because I totally did. Um, Batman the Animated Series. And... Yeah, so, okay, anyway, this was in 2008, but hold on. I want to do Santa's Little Helper episode, because it's starting to come back to me, but. But wait, what were you saying? Before? Oh, well, so I wanted to talk a little bit about something that's been, I I don't know, captured my attention a long time ago. Um, There's this whole concept that, uh, this person, this Lithuanian artist, I have no idea how to say his name. Mm-hmm. Julie Jonas, or Bonas, um, and he created this euthanasia coaster. Um, it's a hypothetical steel roller coaster designed to kill its passengers with elegance and euphoria. Wow. Does okay. that idea exists. Um, so the way... The mechanism of action is mm-hmm. that the euthanasia coaster would kill its passengers through prolonged cerebral hypoxia or insufficient supply of oxygen to the brain. Mm-hmm. The ride's seven inversions would inflict 10G on its passengers for 60 seconds, causing G-force-related symptoms starting with gray out through tunnel vision to blackout and eventually G-force-induced loss of consciousness. Hmm. 
Hmm. Subsequent inversions or another run of the coaster would serve as insurance against unintentional survival of passengers. See, roller coasters already terrify me. I can't imagine uh, opting for that uh, type of euthanasia for myself. That sounds like a horrible way to go. (laughs) I agree with you. Like, uh, there's this whole, this is like this whole idea of like, I want to go out in the most like extreme way possible. I'm, yeah, I think um, thrill seeker people would be into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no, oh, I thought I was going to. No, I just want like some kind of drug that will make me go to sleep and maybe feel euphoric going to sleep. That's what I prefer for my euthanasia. You know, maybe these are from 2004. Oh my god. It took to me I was looking at this thing and it took me to the FX thing. I wanna see it on YouTube. Fuck you, FX. I'm not trying to be on your fucking website. Yeah, fuck FX. Um I can't remember when it is. They're, they're going to the special Christmas episode with Santa's Little Helper. Um, they're not going to the euthanasia episode. Yeah, I remember the Christmas special. Didn't Santa's Little Helper die somehow? Or oh, maybe he escaped and came back. Oh. Maybe he escaped and came back. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Well, because there's definitely, like, Snowball, too, because the cat, original, the original cat died mm. early on. And again, I guess the Simpsons are making the uh, same point we are with the continuation of grief through another pet by just calling their their next yeah. cat Snowball Snowball Two, Santa's Little Helper Two. I thought there was two Santa Santa's Little Helper, but I don't know. Anyway, I can't find it anyway. But I also don't. I still don't feel like watching the Simpsons. I'm still over it, so I'm not gonna go yeah. watch that episode. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, um, in any case, uh, euthanasia. Euthanasia. I, the, the other, I have another traumatic cat death I could talk about, uh, and it was, and, um, it was, I, I was really close to this cat I had, I only had him for a, a few years, his name was Felix, he was all white. And he had uh, one green eye and one blue eye. And he was probably deaf because I've heard a lot of cats that have different color eyes like that. It means that they're deaf. And if they're all white, I, that was like, that's just something I've heard. I don't know if that's uh, a scientific fact. But anyway, he was a sweet kitty. Uh, I had him for about like three or four years. And we were getting ready to go uh, to the shore for the weekend. We were going to Wildwood. Um, and it was for the, um, our we have a family reunion that was in Wildwood for a little bit there. And um, we I went to go find Felix. He was indoor-outdoor. In the suburbs, it's pretty common to be indoor-outdoor cat. Um, you know, I don't recommend it. I think pets should be, uh, cats should be indoor because there's just too many dangerous things. And I, another person told me like cats are like such individuals as well. You never know what kind of trouble they're going to get into outside. 
But, you know, whatever. I know even in the city, there's indoor, outdoor cats as well. Like, I could tell they're, like, either fat and look good or they have a collar in my neighborhood here in Brewerytown. And I can tell that they're indoor, outdoor cat. Um, you know, and they seem to be doing fine. But I don't recommend it. Any case, with this story, because of what I think might have happened with my cat, I don't know. I was, uh, anyway, I was calling him inside to bring him inside for the weekend because we were going to be gone all weekend. So, we, you know, I wanted him in the house. And he always would come to me when I call, when I would call his name, um, you know, for him to come in. And he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't answering me and he wasn't coming. And I was like really freaking out because we were like getting ready to literally leave right then. Like everyone was, you know, packing into the cars and I found him underneath my neighbor's rose bush and like he looked fine but he like couldn't come to me Uh and I was like what the hell is going on he's like he was alert and everything but he was not able to come to me so I went into the bush and picked him up and brought him out and I could feel that his whole behind his hind he was limp his whole back legs area was limp. Yeah. And I brought him into the house and then I went to go drop him on the floor, which is what I would normally do. And he would hop off me. I mean, he was a fairly young, like seriously, just yeah. three, three years old. And he just fell on the floor, which was like yeah. horrible. And I was like, what yeah. the hell? And then he was like trying to walk, but his hind legs were done. They were, they yeah. were done. Now yeah, I, I had a blood clot. Yeah, is that that it was a blood clot? Um, a part of me was like, I wonder if he got hit by a car or something. But, yeah. but um, and the I've heard this with cats that this can happen, and there's like literally yeah. there's nothing you can do. It's nothing like, you can do. It's like a freakish thing. Yeah. Um, in any case, so uh, he couldn't walk or anything like that, and I was like, we have to take him in the vet. We have to take him in the vet. And my parents, you know, they were like, we can't afford that. You know, um, yeah. Which, I mean, I got to tell you, I think my parents are assholes for this. And I think yeah. they're bad cat owners. Yeah. And um, because that's fucked up. If you have yeah. a cat, you need to be able to to give it its best life. If you can't afford to take the cat to the emergency room, if an emergency r- does happen, you should not have a cat. Yeah. And, and nowadays, by the way, there are pet insurance plans that will cover that. Yeah. So you don't have to make that decision that way. Yeah. Um, so in any case, just putting that out there. Uh, and but but you know, I was little, so there was nothing I could do for my about my asshole parents. I mean, that was the eighties, right? Like people had very different ideas in the eighties of what. That's that true. I guess I could give them whatever, but I can say that innately, as a little child, that I knew yeah. it was wrong. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, and they were all getting ready to leave for the shore, and I was like, "Well, I'm not leaving him like this." And um, they were like, "Okay," and everyone left for the shore. <laughs> but oh my my, God. my mom stayed with me, um, obviously. Yeah. And we were basically like, "Okay, so he's gonna die at some yeah. point, um, because this is really bad. Something's really." How wrong. old do you think you were? He was like three or four. Very no, young. you. What's that? Me? You. Oh, I think I was like between 10 and 12, something like that. And um, so they all like uh, whatever. So I stayed up with him 
like to into the night and he died around like two or three in the morning um i had actually like he was on the floor i'd actually fell asleep next to him and i woke up in the middle of the night and he was there and i touched him and he was cold like i knew he had died so i don't know exactly when he died but it was some and he he wasn't screaming or crying or anything he kind of went into a coma kind of thing yeah yeah um he probably was like having other blood clots yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I think then it like, can go to the brain. and Yeah, I don't, whatever. Once again, completely traumatizing thing to right. put a child That's, through even or whatever. Yeah. Like, just fucking up. euthanize the pet. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think the veterinarians that I work with would wholeheartedly agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, we buried him in the backyard in the morning and then I went to the shore. I got over his death, you know, pretty quickly, though, because, I mean, he I didn't have him for that long, so. Yeah. Um, but still, he was a special little kitty, and I felt bad for the way he went out. But, yeah, that blood clot thing, that's like a random. Yeah. I mean, most cats don't. We had one cat that had randomly, I mean, it was, it's like 98% of cats, like, will not come through this with treat like even if they get treated mm-hmm. and this cat that we used to have that would come into board all the time apparently had survived it like he was like a fucking miracle cat and he oh, lived shit. for years but um, yeah normally no like if that, if a cat comes in like that they're usually euthanized yeah because it's just unlikely that they're going to survive and like the other thing is like people don't have thousands and thousands of dollars oh, to yeah. spend on the kind of treatment you know it is very expensive to bring your cat to an emergency vet and then very expensive to spend even one night there with okay like all these treatments then two then three you know it again adds up and it, i want to bring this viable. i want to bring this point on you know uh health as a human right or you know or you know uh a health that's a marketplace that we have right now that so in theory if euthanasia was legal that that would be more an option for poor people instead of going through being terminally ill and dying now do you think that's fair because then it would kind of like kind of take advantage of the fact like that well you have to get this really expensive surgery so you should probably if you can't afford it you should probably just like kill yourself like, I mean, I think that's part of why there's such a push against having euthanasia become legal and then become part of our healthcare system because there's certainly people that will make the wrong decisions and potential. Like, it, right when I advocate for euthanasia, I'm talking about a well thought out plan mm-hmm. um, that that is like ideally like you would have like a living will or like you would you would have a lawyer like help you draft this you know this whole like plan of when you know what kind of mental what what kind of mental state you want to like need to be in in order to make that decision or like you would make a previous direct you know a directive of when you would want to be euthanized like I'm not talking about euthanasia in the sense of like a doctor saying like deciding for a patient Mm -hmm. um to actively so there's like Active and passive, I guess, euthanasia. Like, passive euthanasia would be, I guess, like, pulling the plug. Whereas, like, active would be giving the patient a drug to end their life. Um, 
so like I think there would need to be very carefully thought out like rules on who's making the decision when the decision gets made um, and like who needs to sign off on that decision because like yes like what if it turns out like what if you have a very rich person and their kids are like yeah euthanize dad like because we want his money you know like that's not okay either so mm-hmm. like there would have to be very careful thought around this decision for people on an individual basis. And like, I feel like our, uh, I feel like our, our medical system is not very good at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like, you know, no, it's, it's very dangerous. I just think it's very dangerous to introduce uh, the option of euthanasia into America's healthcare system. I do. I just think, I, I mean, I get it as a human right, but I also uh, think it's, it's, it, it could turn very dark and gross very easily. That's very true. I do not think that it should become like a McDonald's of fucking euthanasia. But I, again, I, I think that the idea of criminalizing something like that is also not correct. Well, what about, well, the way you said McDonald's of euthanasia, it's the same argument people make about abortion. Like the fact well, that like abortion that it's just too easy to yeah. get. Yeah, that I mean, making it too I easy. I like, in my heart, I I really don't. I I do value life, but I uh-huh. don't value. I don't think just having a fucking heartbeat or whatever or like brain activity mm-hmm. um, constitutes like a good quality of life. And but do you know um, that? I I don't think that I don't think that life is like the be all end all. Like the most important thing, like being alive. Um, I think there needs to be some kind of quality of life with that, and there needs to be, like, an individual basis on the decision of, if some, I mean, these are big decisions, like, of, mm-hmm. about life, about consciousness, oh, yeah. and, like, potentially ending that, and, um... It's the same, it's like, the same as abortion, really, if you think about it. Like, I mean, you're saying... Uh, no, you, it's not. No, you're it's saying not, not you don't believe... you made the decision for yourself... You believe that I think if you're I think if you are the one with the agency who's making the decision of mm-hmm. want for yourself fully to be euthanized, I support that. I don't support anyone else making the decision for you without consulting you whatsoever. There would be people that would argue against abortion for that reason that like right. you're making a decision for another life, but I don't believe that that's a fully formed a fully formed like consciousness. Okay. Like I just don't believe that. So that's for me That's fair. But for that's, me, that's what you why believe- I don't even think it's a thing. Like I, I think like early on, if you're Marie, talking about like Marie, you are not listening to me. I've been letting you talk. You believe that other people believe that it is a human life, and we can't scientifically really prove when life starts. You're absolutely right. I'm just saying, like you can't like negating people's argument who believe that beat uh, heartbeat is when human life begins. It's ignorant of their what they think life is and what their experience is. You're totally cutting off a whole group of people who have, you know, a different belief system than you, which is fascinating. I actually didn't really mean to negate that. Like, I'm just saying for me personally, I, do, I don't personally yeah. feel like, like having an abortion early on in a pregnancy is killing a person. Right. And, Some and people that's, do, and that's, yeah. that's what they believe. And that's the problem uh, I don't with think creating law. I don't think abortion doctors should go to jail because they think that. I don't think abortion doctors should go to jail because they think that. 
some people think that life starts at conception. I don't think we should put people in jail because they are doing abortions on people. Like, when, like, the fucking baby could kill the mom. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just, that doesn't make sense to me either. Like, I don't, maybe these, maybe these decisions should not be made on a basis of subjectively when we think life begins. Well, and there's the also, but then again, like my point in thinking about abortion is the question of people who, uh, a lot of women who need to get abortions need to get them not for a medical reason, but because they can't afford to have the baby. Yep. So in a sense, that's ending a human life for like, because of economic disparity, which I'm saying is the same argument that could be made for euthanasia where a person who is poor is more likely to go for euthanasia in the marketplace than a person who is wealthy, who can afford to get expensive surgeries and shit like that. So then we're talking about like an entire class of people that are being put to death, which is really creepy to think about. Right. But you know what else is creepy? The fact Hmm. that we're just going to let them die. The fact that we're just going to let them suffer and die because they can't afford those procedures and we're going to let them die in the fucking streets. Um, so maybe this is pointing to a much larger thing that needs to be addressed. You know, I, I'm like, I agree with you. I think that, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I don't think that like for a human life, I don't think it, I don't like it when it, when a veterinarian and an owner needs to make a decision to euthanize a pet because they can't afford the treatment. I think that's horrible. Yeah. I think yeah. it would be horrible in the case of a human being. I do not Speaking think that's right. Speaking of this again, um, Zion when he was seven, um, I, probably because he was inbred or something, but he had a condition where he always had like kidney stones and was always passing um, these kidney stones and having bladder infections. It was like a problem from the time he was like, like maybe three to seven. I used to have to take him to the vet regularly because he would get blockages and get really sick because he couldn't pee. Yeah. And uh, it got to a point where it really, it almost permanently damaged his body because there were so many toxins in his body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, we need to actually, the blockage is too big. And they had to, like, essentially give him a sex change. Like, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. like, okay, give him a little. They opened up the urethra, yeah. Yeah, they opened up his urethra so he could actually pass the kidney stone that was blocking him. And then also in the future, if he's going to get bladder infections, he's able to, like, pass out blockages, right? Um, since and this is obviously... did that for him because a lot of cats who get euthanized before that surgery happened because yeah. it's not affordable. No, ex- and that's my point, though. And then Zion, the thing is, it, I actually went to debt for it because it's not affordable, but I, uh, a friend of mine, um, her mom had just like a relative pass away and came into an inheritance and heard about I was struggling to euthanize or not euthanize my cat and she gave Aww. me she gave me money to pay for it. That was so nice. I know. But and then I like paid the other half, but I think the surgery was something and people were wondering like how ridiculous this is. I'm ser- I think the surgery was like five thousand dollars. I'm yeah, not I, yeah, I'm sure. It was I like I feel like it probably was. Yeah. yeah I think like, you're right. People need to know like oh when Beth made a decision so many people would not make this decision for their cat and I do not blame them for it it's like a lot of fucking money right even um, where even at my work where people generally do have more 
money to spend on these things, I, I think, a, like, many, many people make the decision to euthanize at that point. Yeah. Um, because it's just, because there's other factors, too, of, like, is the surgery even going to work? And, you know, is there going to be other problems? And right. Usually, I think it does work pretty well, though. Well, I'll tell you, Zion got that surgery, and he lived 11 more years. After, that was worth it. And he lived 11 more years and was perfectly healthy. He actually never had an issue with a blockage since that surgery. And And uh, I had 11 more years with him, and I'm, like, so grateful for that, you know? But, um, again, I'm just saying that, like, brings up the issue for with humans. I don't know. I don't know. It's really, I, I, I agree with you. I just want to say, Maureen, I agree with you that I think a, a woman's body is a woman's body. And when she's pregnant, she has the right to get an abortion or not. Because the baby's not born yet. It's your body. It's your consequences. But I do think it's like a, a really muddy thing. And I try not to disrespect people whose beliefs are that when there's a heartbeat, human life does start. Because I honestly don't know when human life starts. We can't. We can't make laws based on opinions like that. But no, we can't make laws based on opinions no. like that. And we the, can't put people in jail for it either. The fact of... Because people are making these decisions based on very personal, individual situations. Right. I would say... In those situations, it might not matter when human life starts. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just... I, like, I just personally, and this I feel like is an unpopular opinion, I err on the side of, like... Why are we making it illegal, though? You know, can we make these decisions maybe uh, in an educated way, um, you know, on an individual basis? And, like, the the popular answer to that seems to be fucking no. People think people are stupid. And that, you know, like, we're all just going to be willy-nilly getting pregnant and killing babies for the fun of it. Or, like, willy-nilly, like, killing grandpa. And, like, I just go through both. I, I at times I do think people are capable of that, and times I think that no, they don't, and we, we maybe we'll just be willy nilly killing grandpa. I don't know. People um, are stupid. True. Um, but the thing is, I I think the issue with abortion, you just have to make it about the woman's body and not even get into the argument of when life starts or not. The fact is, it's True. a it's you the woman's body. It's the woman's body. Um, and a woman has a right to have control over her own body. So um, that would be, like, you know, my discussion there. Like, we're not, when we're talking about euthanizing people, we're not talking about, like, you know, I'm, uh, you know, hooked up to my grandpa or some shit like that in some way and making decisions for him. Like, it's, it, it's the person who's alive and their individual right to be like, I want to die. Yes, and that's when that's when I really feel like it's uh, no one should. I feel like if you want to counsel the person and, and help them to see that there is like a point to going forward, that's wonderful. But like, if all of those things have been exhausted, and like it's your mom, and you know that like cancer is eating her fucking insides, and she's just gonna lay there for three more weeks, like I I'm sorry, but like. I want my family member, if I'm in that situation, I don't want to put them in a position where they might go to jail for helping me to end it. That's um, my thing. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. It's, I think it's legal in, like, Oregon. It is. It's legal in, like, four or five states, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I did. I just recently watched the HBO uh, movie on on uh, Doctor Kevorkian that uh, yeah. stars Al Pacino. I don't know that much about him and that whole story. Just just like what I saw on the news as a child. Um, well, he's a he's a physician who thinks that euthanasia should be a right, um, and it comes from his own personal experience watching his mom wither away. And it's like, a, yeah. it's an inhumane way to go when you're terminally yeah. ill and you're, it's like painful. It's, it's just like the worst. And, um, and he, he was trying to make it be passed into law to make euthanasia, uh, legal. And so what he did, he set up his own, um, euthanasia service for patients. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I think he had like, <clears throat> maybe like 60, uh, some um, people that he euthanized before he was arrested and um, put in jail for like I think he was in jail for like five or seven years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and he like fought it in the courts. The whole point was for him to be doing this. He was like trying to make court cases so that um, the discussion can be you know documented in court in a court of law right. and begin to make arguments over the law to move forward to make euthanasia uh, a human right. And, uh, but, uh, he, it's, it's interesting. Like he would videotape, um, the interviews with people. Like he went through an interview process with them to see like, you know, what was their illness, you know, um, and their reasons for wanting to die. And, you know, just by offering a peaceful, uh, a peaceful death and the way he euthanized he did like um he would uh do gas euthanasia where yeah um <clears throat> you're hooked up to like a carbon monoxide tank and mm-hmm. go out that way he had one where it was a lot like how they euthanize your cat um which was like it's like a uh something that puts you to sleep into a deep sleep first and then there's you know some kind of you know acid or whatever that stops your heart I, I don't I forget what it is I'm not a doctor in any case uh but yeah I mean uh that's pretty much that's all I know from Dr. Kevorkian from watching this movie with Al Pacino and I love Al Pacino by the way I know so, you do yeah I have a huge crush on him I also watched The Irishman twice so far he plays Jimmy Hoffa in that and I love him anyway <laughs> um but it you uh, you would like Doctor Kevorkian, Marine, because I mean it's a lot. You seem to have like a lot of the same views as him. I mean, me too. I'm I'm literally just like uh, thinking about like not being so reactionary to it, only because I think that our healthcare system is corrupt and fucked up, and so I don't want to trust like any of this. And yeah, I, I do even. And it's totally valid to me. I mean, I do not trust. Any of basically of the system that we have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. And I, I don't. I, yeah, that's scary. I don't want to see poor people who could possibly get better if they get a certain surgery and can't afford it, then opt out for the euthanasia. You know, I. You know, I don't want to see that because, and especially with cancer, a lot of young people who get cancer. Um, you know, you go through this like long, stressful chemotherapy process. There's a lot of like scary language like you know you have stage four cancer well they're actually i heard they're gonna stop um categorizing cancer in stages 
because it really like it scares patients and there's a lot of stage four cancer patients where who react differently to um the treatment to a point where yeah they had stage four but it's totally survivable yeah and it's like whatever but like yeah so because of all those languages there could be someone who's like um the language is like you know so scary to us and we don't really we're not doctors so we could be tricked into euthanasia early or something when you probably could have if you went through like the chemo and everything you would have survived this you know i don't i don't know i just really those are things i think about i get i get freaked out by that shit I mean, that's totally valid, um, but I also, like, and I can't even, because I've, I've never, I have worked in a facility that worked with end-stage cancer patients, uh-huh. but I did not work with them directly, and now I work in a facility that does euthanasia for animals, mm-hmm. um, and I think that Ultimately, once it's down to like that individual time of deciding about whether you're going to go through something like that or not, like, mm-hmm. I just hope that like, I, you know, it's like right now, like there are resources and counseling already for people who need to make those kind of decisions of whether they're even going to pursue treatment or not. Like mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe a peaceful euthanasia should be presented in the mix at some point as part of like many options um but like again it's like when we're talking about like the the slippery slope of euthanasia and is it going to become like since it's more financially accessible is it going to just be what we do to poor people like possible um but two like maybe they should be able to have that option rather than dying from tumors in their home for months or years like i don't i don't it's a very difficult decision to make a for everybody, like on a, you can't make a blanket decision about this, I guess, mm-hmm. which is why I feel like it should not be illegal. And I, I just want to say we are to the point, um, legally in the United States where you can have a do not resuscitate clause, like in your will or something like that. And the way that that would work is if you were terminally ill and, or, or not even, you know, what I say you're in a car accident and you're in a deep coma and the only way you can live is through like a feeding tube and that, and your brain dead and that's how they're keeping you alive. Or, you know, it's basically there's like different steps to what is, uh, the quality of human life where, um, you can not end, you can end a person's life. And those are like some of the stipulations. It's being brain dead. You're you're in a deep coma. You're you. The only way you could survive, you would even be able to survive, is to be eating through a feeding tube. Right. Um, and it's to the point where basically they disconnect your feeding tube. They disconnect your, um, whatever. Um, why can't I think of to help you breathe? The I don't know. Uh, like your endotracheal tube, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You and you take that out, and they they pass naturally on their own in a matter of of minutes. The body just dies. right. So because, because they were already going to die anyway until uh-huh. we. That's like my other question about the whole thing. We're like, yeah. but this is God's decision. How could we intervene in the process of death? Like we do it all the fucking time by keeping people awake by breathing for them. That's a good point. Tubes. How the fuck is that our decision? Like we mm-hmm. just. Human beings are just afraid of death, and we value life and others so much because we're terrified of our own mortality mm-hmm. to the point that we'll force them to suffer. Mm-hmm. 
I also wanted to point out as there are doulas who uh, are with you at the uh, birth of a child that you also have um, there's death doulas which are cool. which are doulas who are there for you at the end of your life and basically there I mean there's no real there's no medical they don't do a medical service it's literally just having a support like having a person there for you I actually yeah. um have an internet friend um who is a death doula and that's awesome um yeah uh she uh and a lot of it is like she's a death doula for like elderly patients who have no family, yeah. who's, who's no one, no one's beautiful. there for them at the end, and so she's just there and she like reads to them or is just is just there until they die. Like that's her. That's awesome. Her thing is to be there for them at their death. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would like a death doula. That would be great. I would definitely like a death doula. I would probably like to be a death doula. Yeah, actually, Marie, um, you would that, be a good I death think, doula. I think that, um, well, thank you. Yeah, I think you'd be <laughs> a good death doula. Weird compliment. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> that's like what priests do, and monks, and, you know, like, that's yeah. the job, you know, traditionally, that's the job of, like, the religious professional, mm -hmm. and our religious institutions are, like, falling apart, because they just, you know, are, and, um, we need someone, we need people to fill that space because mm -hmm. it, it needs to happen. Like, and people need to, like, we spend our whole lives running from death and that's, it's, it's just the one, the only thing, like the common experience that's going to happen for all of us. And like, I feel like I would rather be, have some agency in the situation and be somewhat prepared than like, not. Mm -hmm. Um, the, First night I had Beelzebub, um, first off, it was, he, he meowed through the night for like a week straight. I was, I, was, I remember he hid. I, he hid. And then in the middle at nighttime, he would come out and just meow and meow and meow and meow. It was like the same system. And then I guess he slept all day when we were out of the apartment and then you like, and he hid. We, I didn't really even see this cat like the first week I had him, um, well, he did have to get, like, well, that was, like, the one that I would, like, try to find him to make sure he was okay, and then the one, it was, like, I had him for, like, two days, and I found him, and he was in a box that my sewing machine used to be in, and he had a horrible eye infection, probably the stress of the move and everything, like, he already had, he was an outdoor cat, so he, he had a lot of viruses and bacteria and, like, shit he had to get taken care of anyway. But anyway, so he got this uh, eye infection. I had to take him to the vet. Um, I told them I couldn't find him. I almost had to cancel the vet appointment because I couldn't find him. That happens all the time, by the way. Do uh, yeah, that's so funny. I was really embarrassed because, like, I literally never had that issue before. Like, I was, like, that's, like, normal. Yeah, that happens. Um, but I did find him, by the way. If you have a lost cat in your house and you have a bookshelf, uh, you should look behind the books in the bookshelf. Oh, if you, have a, a, if you have a really sneaky kitty like I did, uh, look behind the books in the bookshelf because that's where I found Bub. And um, very clever spot. Very clever. Um, in any case, the first night I had him, though, he it was in the middle of the night and he's meowing and shit. And I'm like, just like, oh, my God. Like, you can't get him to shut up. Like, you just have to kind of deal with it. 
Um, but he knocked over on the mantle uh, a picture I had of Zion and Leona. And it, like, oh. and it like crashed to the ground. And that was the first night I had him. And That's I was, so weird. I know it was like, I was like, wow, what a fucking asshole cat. Like he like, he just, he like, um, desecrated the memory of my past two cats. Like, <laughs> why did you take it like that? I feel like he was like, Hey, they said hello. Oh, you see it like that? Well, because it's, I, cause there's the crashing of the frame, the breaking of the glass is dangerous to clean up. Like all of those are very negative things to me. Like the crash yeah. scared me and there's broken glass all over the floor. Um, that's, uh, what, that's what cats do though. My cats never did that shit. They never broke things. Uh, I have very, I have been fortunate to have very good cats. And actually now Bub and Peck, well, no, Bub still, he gets in trouble. Bub gets in trouble. That's why his name is Beelzebub. <laughs> did your cats just do that? Um, yeah, Ether went through a stage. Now that we have winter, no, I meant the he sound. has like a companion. Mm-hmm. He doesn't anymore as much, but mm-hmm. uh, she, I mean, he really, every morning would be knocking stuff down off the shelf, like to wake us up because he was hungry, because he was bored. Like, yeah, so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, Beelzebub, too, right now is sitting in my lap. It's pretty crazy. He doesn't, oh, he's okay. not, he doesn't always sit in my lap. It's not. It's not an old. He's like, you're talking about me, Mom. Um. Yeah, Bobby, you're such a cute. We've been talking about this for a while. Okay, yeah, we should we should uh, wrap it up. Uh, we should get we should do apologies and racist confessions real quick. Let's do it. Um. Now, okay, let's the apology section. No one wrote in. And what? That's so weird. Yeah, no one wrote in, uh, but if you want to get in touch with us to get us to apologize for anything, we're we're white, we're women, and we're willing to apologize. <laughs> uh, my Twitter handle is at Beth Heinley, B-E-T-H-H-E-I-N-L-Y, all lowercase, no space. Marines is at Mocom99, M-O-C-U-M-9-9, all lowercase, no space. So get in touch with us on Twitter. Or where wherever you know you are that can message us and and you let us know uh, how we offended you and we will apologize for it. And I'm also contemplating starting an apology hotline up because maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe people want to call up and they don't want to like. You're probably right. They don't want to do like a message. Yeah, we need a dedicated hotline for this. Yeah, and um, I will. I'm gonna look into that and then um. If you call in the, if you call into the hotline, we'll play your message on on live on the air. Uh, just kidding. This is a podcast. Not bad, yeah, not all um, but so thinking back, I mean, I don't know what to apologize for. Uh, maybe for trying to illegally buy Ray Bans on the street, and then talking down, trying to talk the guy down to two dollars was perhaps a little offensive. Maybe that was offensive too, because that man's trying to make a living on the street. And, I mean, right? I know. And I was just being like, "Um, do you have two dollars? I have. I mean, all yeah, I have is two dollars. All your stuff is worth to me is two dollars. Yeah. So that was perhaps uh, not cool of me to do. Um. 
So I'm sorry for that. You know, I understand you're trying to make a living and I'm not helping you at all with my $2. So sorry for that. Um, I should apologize. I don't know what else to apologize. I'm trying to think of the New York episode. We went to New I York City. I felt like we were perfect. I felt like it was a perfect episode back uh -huh. like Trump's phone call. It was perfect and we have nothing to apologize for. You did nothing wrong. It was beautiful and perfect podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, there you, you heard it there, folks. You heard it right there, folks. Uh, America. Nothing to apologize for. Uh, on to racist confessions. Now, you know what, honestly, I have to think a minute because I'm usually ready to go with this, but considering it's literally, we normally don't um, record at this frequency. Normally, yeah, I know, this is like a fast rate of re-record. Yeah, I really, when you wanted to do euthanasia, I was like, you know what, it would be really nice to talk about it on Zion's D-Day. Um, I love it. Yeah, so then I was like, let's just do it this Sunday. But, uh, you know, uh, in any case, in the span of, like, just a week, I, I don't know. I think uh, you have to go first on racist confessions. Go for it. No, you. You have to go oh, first. you think I have to go first? Oh, well, I mean, I feel like sometimes you do that just to point out the fact that I don't really get out much. Uh -huh. Like, I literally drive to work and come home. All right, well, how were you okay. racist online, then? What did you do online that was racist? I really have not been online very much. What are you doing? I've, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and uh, what are the, like that. What are the dating. YouTube videos that you're watching? Um, well, so yesterday I was watching a lot of videos about uh, this guy, Donald Hoffman, who has a sort of like a theory of how reality works that involves consciousness at the center of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's been interesting. I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, no, I'm not watching, like... Well, let's talk about I'm this Hoffman character. Just, maybe my racism is that I'm just not speaking out anything different than what I already know. Let's expand a bit on this Hoffman person. Are they a white what? person? Let's expand yeah, on this. Yeah, they're a white person. All white right. Person. They're a white person. And they're talking about what? They're talking... What's their... What are they saying is reality? Well, it's a little bit complicated. So what they're saying is that instead of so that what this guy does is uh -huh. that according to his ex hold up real quick is what? he is this person straight? I think so. I don't know. They're straight. I have no idea. And they're white. Well, he's a, yeah, he's a he's a white male, but I have no idea of what his sexual orientation is. Not probably cis. I mean, maybe. I mean, if he was but, if he was trans, he'd probably be talking about it. I yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, he doesn't say anything at all about his sexual orientation. So, I mean, I feel like it's okay. kind of weird also to mean to assume that means he's straight mm -hmm. and this. Like, okay. I, I don't know what that is. He doesn't talk about it at all. Uh, well, he's talking about like the nature of reality and stuff. So he's probably a cis white male. Well, he's talking about evolution. Definitely straight then. If he's into evolution, he's totally straight. Most straight people love talking about evolution because they're breeders. So, so what he right? So what he talks about okay. is that according to his mathematical calculations, um, there's actually zero chance that human beings evolve to see reality as it is. We basically just evolve to see reality as 
like just seeing the things that we need to survive and reproduce. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's how okay. That there's like sort of another underneath reality, like a trueness to reality that we are incapable of seeing and understanding as individual human beings. Mm-hmm. And then he gets into all this like. This um, is. Can I just things. interrupt you real quick? This yeah, is my. Yeah. You you told me to watch. Uh, to do with race at all. You told me to uh, watch uh, Terrence McKenna lectures. Yeah, what did you think of him? Was he crazy? Did you think he was crazy or awesome? No, I thought he was awesome. I do think he probably does do a little too many, uh, too much acid, just a little too much. Well, well, yeah, I mean, all those people did. He trips a lot, and he actually did die from brain cancer, which apparently yeah, is, I mean, is a not affiliated well, with it. But I don't know. Think that's a really a jump to make that causation huge jump. Um, he was afraid that it was. That cancer is progressive to the lungs and the brain anyway, so that's when you die out of lung cancer, brain cancer. Yeah, well, he 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 had stated that he was afraid that his brain cancer was caused by psychedelics. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, he also said his doctors assured him it had no connection, but it was actually something he was afraid was uh, the cause of his brain cancer. But in any case, I'm that's outside the point. Um, but I was just going to say, because he talks about time and reality in the same way. Like he talks about um, the the sub experience that you're talking about with this guy. Right. So this guy's theory like continues to expand. Like there's more to it. Yeah. Um, talks about in quantum physics and the double split experiment, like how uh-huh. things aren't necessarily solid until you, like, look at them. And what he says is that, like, it really is that way and, like, literally nothing exists. Um, and nothing. how we experience it, it's not solid, blah, 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 whatever. He also is, gets into time and space, and he believes that those, like, he thinks that we made, like, these fundamental assumptions that are wrong. So he thinks that, like, time and space maybe is not the basis to all of this, but that consciousness is actually the basis, basis to all of this. That everything has an element of consciousness, and that everything reality, what matter reality is like created by it's only created by something conscious experiencing whatever is out there. So like nothing really fully exists until it's experienced until consciousness experiences it, which is something that we know from quantum physics. So he takes it further, saying that like time is not even really a thing; it all springs from consciousness. Duh. Anyone could tell you that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, just look at the span of your experience of time while you've been alive. For instance, as a child, you experience time very slowly, and your childhood seems forever. But as an adult, four to five years is actually literally nothing. It's it's right, not it it's not an entire lifetime as a childhood feels like an entire lifetime. Um. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's all relative. But um, uh, time definitely, I feel, accelerates as you get older. But that's because you are in a more hyper-conscious state than you are. Well, I mean, that's not fair to say that. But um, time definitely, your experience of time definitely speeds up the older you get. Um, right, and it slows down when something's boring. And if you're in a flow state, it ceases to exist. Like, mm-hmm. it's interesting. We take this. Um, ultra reality like this idea that everything is solid and real and outside of us to kind of an extreme like because it doesn't always match with our experience um well then do you think uh 
Uh, let's see how we can relate this to racism. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I just don't spend that much time thinking about it. Maybe that's the, maybe that is my uh, part of my racism. I guess it is because if I was being, if I had people being racist against me, I would sure spend a lot more time thinking. About it. Um. Yeah. So racism is a point of conscious. So it's a conscious state. Time. Racism is a conscious state. And it's only relative to your day-to-day -day experience. I mean, much yeah, like, like if much you like, racism, you're going to think about it a hell of a lot more than someone who's not. Much like time. Something um, like that. Okay, well, uh, let's see. My racist confession would be... Um, Let's see. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think here. Well, shit. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I uh, get really nervous uh, when black people tell me their names because uh, they're sometimes they're ethnic and I can't that is saying they're ethnic is racist right there. Uh, but I, I just get, I just get more nervous than I do for white people names. Like white people names are bland. You already did this one. What's that? You already did this one. Um, oh yeah, because I have a, like, Your coworker. my coworkers all have a variation of the same name. Fuck. See, I'm not the only one. Um, Okay. Okay. Well, that was just one. It happened to me again this weekend and I was like, oh, fuck. Um, and they were like really fucking nice. And I hated that. Like their name was so hard for me. Um, and it made like the whole conversation hard. Although to, to, to equal that, I also had a table mate who was, uh, who, whose name is Amanda, but they don't go by Amanda. They go by Manda. And they were definitely a uh, Brooklyn transplant, now living in South Philadelphia, hipster. Like, and uh, their name's Manda. And I was like, oh, great. I felt like such an old lady. I was like, Manda? Okay. <laughs> All right, Manda. Hi, Manda. <laughs> That's totally what your parents named you. Okay. Um, yeah, um, people can be called whatever they want, I guess. Oh, yeah, they totally can. They totally can. And I can totally um, judge them for that. Um, Are you fine? You fucking... You go ahead, girl. Um, okay, no. I know I have... I know I have other ones. Oh, well, no. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, I can't think of any. I really can't. I'm tired of being racist. Yeah, I feel like we're, um, we need like a some some other iteration of this or something. Uh, I mean, just generally being a white lady, I uh, am racist every day. I'm sure, and uh, I'm trying to be fully conscious of it. What you see? How what I did there? Mm -hmm. I sure did. That clever little loop back. I'm trying to be conscious of it so that um, in the future, if time does in fact exist in the future, that... Why not? No. 
uh, it may not. It does. The future does exist um, right now, though, because I'm projecting. Nothing but the present moment never has. Yeah, but I'm pro- I'm projecting thoughts and feelings into the future, and that's how it exists. I I'm well, being. True, but you're just now. That's just using your default mode network in your brain, which is just going to lead you more into depression. Well, what if I'm imagining a future where I'm uh, swimming in a giant pile of gold coins? Like a nice and, positive visualization? I think that's yeah. good. It's intentional thinking. Um, there's like my, when I was in therapy, one thing I, uh, my therapist always recommend writing affirmation lists. That's and, good. And uh, to make positive affirmations for your future. And, um, and, and a lot of the times that helps, you know, dreams come to fruition. And there, there's something about the physical act of writing it down, not just thinking of it, but also putting it to paper that, it's real. that makes it real. Um, what about the I Ching? For instance, Terrence McKenna actually is real big into the I Ching as far as like time. And that's a fortune telling, um, uh, Chinese part of Chinese religion and it's well, about predicting the future. No, it's meant for predicting the future. Like it's a, it's a reading of coins that predicts the future. It's right. But doesn't it have money. to do with like, there's a natural order of things. Like, yes, in the sense that, in the sense that, um, that's the thing, though. It's like if it can predict the future, then does the future event already exist? And then you get into the whole free will thing. And maybe maybe I'm just a feather in the wind, and but maybe it's a little bit of both. That whole thing. Well, what is time anyway? If everything already exists, then does time already exist? Well, the I-Ching also constantly, it changes. Right. But it, it is a predictor of the future. But it can change. Weird. Um, I don't like know. Based on the current conditions, right? Ba- yeah, it's based on um, current. Yeah, I I don't fucking know. I don't know anything about the I Ching. So what? It- yeah, now I'm gonna have to get into a YouTube hole of the I Ching because all I do is watch YouTube anymore. Well, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I mean, Terrence McKenna, like whole, but his whole time wave theory that you told me about. Um, uh-huh. is delineated from the um, mathematical um, uh, formula of the I Ching. Comes, from, that's what his time wave theory is based on. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, he would like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a mathematician, so I can't fucking well, explain Me neither, and I guess that's what but, I'm saying. It's like, I don't know what, how, I don't know what the conception of time in, the I Ching actually is. You know what I'm saying? I have no idea. This is like, so two hosts from Delco. We're like getting <laughs> we're in like these like half We're like, going to wrap it up now and then we're going to talk about the I Ching that we know nothing about Yeah, make stuff up about it for 20 minutes. This is like so half-baked. My entire life is half-baked. It's a, Mine too. Mine yeah, too. it's like I, 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 I like to I'm think of it as we're like reaching deeply into our random subconscious in this show and it is just going to show us later what we've created. That's my that's my experience with it. That's, that's how I feel. That's pretty much the I Ching right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, and racism. It's and also racism. It's also about racism because 
that's what the apology section um, and racist confessions is for. Well, racist confessions is meant to be a predictor for uh, racist behavior, but the apology section is meant to be a condition where we are able to look back and apologize for things that we did wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're done. I think we're done. I, I can't. Oh, Bub's completely plastered on my lap. It's so cute. Yeah, I'm going to give him a kiss on air right now. So in closing, just to kind of pull this Dennis Hoffman theory together with the euthanasia thing that we were talking about. Okay. When it's like, and then again, so this guy really, really, really believes. Not believes. I can't say that because, no, he has a scientific theory that he has put out there and he keeps saying as he talks about it. He has, his, he has this book and it's called The Case Against Reality. You can look it up on YouTube. There's a couple of very interesting interviews um, that will probably come right up on YouTube if you look up Donald Hoffman Case Against Reality. But Dennis Hoffman he, Case Against Reality. Uh, I think it's Donald Hoffman. Donald Hoffman The Don Case Against Reality. Donald Hoffman um, The Case Against Reality. Yeah, so, but, like, in the framework of his scientific theory that he says multiple times, he's like, I don't believe that this is the truth. He says, this is the theory that I'm laying down based on what I have, and now let's prove it wrong. Um, but he does say, like, he believes that, you know, if this world that we live in, like, if it's basically not as real and solid as we think, more like it's like a VR experience. Um, he really believes that consciousness, like, always exists. And that, like, if you, when you die, you just become slug and go somewhere else. Or you get born, you, or you get conceived to wherever life begins, you plug in. Like, your consciousness plugs in, and it's probably, like, a, a, a mass of, like, tiny consciousnesses, too, he talks about. Really interesting theory. I think you would really get into it. Do anyway, you have... I guess what I'm saying is there's hope, there's still hope for an afterlife, you know, here's a new idea about it, and uh. so you don't have to be as scared anymore. Do you <laughs> have... No, absolutely religion. Here's a scientific one to make you less scared. Do you have... That's the third time I tried to interject here, by the way. Um, uh -huh. Do you have an early, the earliest childhood experience, memory? Um... I've been actually getting a lot of memories coming up lately from my early childhood, but uh -huh. I, I think I remember, like, sitting in my car seat and just, like, looking up at the sky. I, because, I, yeah, I have a very distinct, like, first memory, and it that experience was very much like being plugged in. That's how I feel about the sky experience. Wait, tell me about yeah. yours. Well, it because it's like it's it was almost like I didn't even exist before this moment. But right. I I was definitely like maybe two or three years old, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it was being pushed in my stroller, and I thought to myself, "Oh, this is so nice being just pushed in the stroller. It's such a beautiful day." And <laughs> And being like, I remember thinking that about the sky, like, this is beautiful. Like, I feel like yeah. that was just all my conflict. It was just like, this is nice. Right. And then, and then the surprise realization that I, like, literally just spoke English and had this thought. Mm. Like, I was also shocked that I just spoke. <laughs> 
in my mind, my conscious, right. like I literally spoke in English and said, the sky is beautiful and this is not, what a beautiful day. It's so nice being pushed in my carriage. I and, fucking love that story. And because being people don't talk shocked. about that shit, but I think it's universal. Yeah, we all have this like just wake up moment of consciousness. Um, and I've always been curious like when that is and, uh, and, or like if you're just not even capable to put it into words because you can't even speak a language when you're first born or anything like that, you can't really experience it. But then there's just the moment. But in any case, it was like a plug in moment. I don't remember anything before this moment. It's interesting. It's also interesting that you associate that with using language in your mind because Speaking of Terrence McKenna, he talks about, like, the idea of language, not just him, you know, it's talked about with a lot of thinkers and shit, mm -hmm. but that our language creates this, yeah. that creates this, this reality that's, like, not really reality, but it's our reality as human beings that we share. Mm -hmm. So, like, language, it's thought by some to be like an intimately an intimate part of that and well and it's also people make the argument that it makes us separate than animals the fact that we have language which i don't think we understand animal language so it's kind of wrong that. to assume that human beings are sentient because we have language and animals are not because they don't have language yeah. we just don't understand their language and it's proven like that they do have spoken language like they do have language they do communicate in mm -hmm. a lot of ways it's just that they're they have a different they're running a different program than we are right but uh i don't know i don't know it's uh i was like a plug-in i think it's interesting that both of us when we had our plug-in moments as babies that we were looking at the sky and thought it was beautiful and that's what woke us I up i mean i i'm like not even surprised though like we i don't know it's just i i love hearing that story from you I, I wonder if a lot of people have that same experience, that it's looking at the sky. And I being, do, too. Or just that feeling of, like, of that memory of being like, hey, like, you know, because I, I look at it, I'm like, did I make that up just in my memory of that? But, like, mm -hmm. really, like, that experience of I'm conscious. Right. So, like, I'm having thoughts about this experience rather than just the experience. Right. Which you probably do have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was watching one of those, uh, like, World Science Fair, you know, roundtable things, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how when you're really little. Like I actually have no idea what you're talking about. TEDx? Uh, but yeah, whatever. Is it, um, is it TEDx? No, not TEDx. It's called World Science Festival, and there's, like, a channel of it on YouTube. Okay. Brian Green does, like, a lot of the ones that are about quantum physics. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I was watching this one, um, and they were just talking about, like, different treatments for departure. Wait, what is it called again? World, World Science Festival, I okay. believe. So it was one of, like, the episodes of that. That's a pretty and obvious People name. were talking about how your brain, when you're a little kid, mm -hmm. when you're a little, small child, before you can communicate and everything... Um, it looks like a person who is taking a hallucinogen. Like, it has all these connections that yeah. are all open, and, like, you're just experiencing and taking things in. Like, your brain is, like, working in that, like, very open way. And then as you get older and you get language, you start to be able to use the part of your brain that's like, okay, like, what time is it? Time to go to the store. Like, let's concentrate on this test, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, like, your brain kind of starts to close those things off. But, like... I, I just thought that was interesting, wow. like, in terms of having that first experience of consciousness, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. 
happening in your brain at that time where you're like, I'm, I'm thinking about my experience. I'm self-aware. And what's it like before that? My, my first aware, I have a very clear first awareness of death too. Um, I was probably like three or four years old. We were in our first house. And so, and I know we, I only lived there till I was like three or four. Um, and my parents were watching, um, night of the living dead. And I guess they didn't think I knew what was going on. And cause I was there and they were watching uh-huh. us. What's that? I said, uh huh. Yeah. Oh, um, in any case, but, uh, and yeah, night of the living dead is about walking corpses and, uh, coming out to get you. And literally that was my first realization of death was, and, oh God. I, and it was terrifying. And that movie is still the most terrifying movie to me. I've talked about this in our horror episode. If you want to go back and listen to our horror episode, because I was like, this is the, and to this day, zombies are like the most scary uh, horror genre for me because it's literally the encapsulation, the encapsulation, or why can I fucking say that word? Um, uh, stupid, that's why. <laughs> but it's like that death coming for you walking yeah. the walking dead is the most terrifying yeah. thing for me scary anyway but that's when I, I i i mean and surely after that i had my first cat die actually my uh, my other like realization of death was when my cat bear died and uh, i was four years old and he died suddenly young as well indoor outdoor cat i have no idea what happened but uh <laughs> They, my, I remember being like coming home from my friend Julie's house and it was in, it was a nice summer day or spring. I don't know. It was warm out. Um, but the, uh, then my dad came up to me and, or I think it was George came up to me and told me that, um, Bear was dead and I didn't believe him. And, um, so my dad took me to, they were digging a hole in the backyard to bury him. And uh, he took me to the hole that they had his body in and and showed me that he was dead. And I fucking lost it. And I didn't understand why death had to happen. I kept on saying, why, 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 why? That was all I said. I just cried and said, why? Um, Like, I just didn't understand it, why it had to happen. Yeah. But it was final, and that was it. And that was actually the scariest part, because death is yeah. so final. It's so final. Oh my god! Yeah. Like ending this my podcast. Once you're dead, you're dead, and you're not coming back. How are we going to euthanize this podcast? <laughs> like, <laughs> do um, they even deserve a good death? I actually asked the uh, I Ching how this podcast would end. Um, and I'm yeah, not even, I'm, I'm not even joking. I, I literally did. I asked, uh, yeah. the I Ching about two hoes from Delco and it, it told me it would be, um, a, a long, slow death and that, um, both of us will, would continue, be continuing to do that. Like we, without, um, ending it prematurely, like, Basically, it was saying that both of us would be like, we're going to be at a point to the podcast where we both want to quit, but we don't quit. We just like keep going Um, uh, and it'll be like a really long, drawn out, uncomfortable thing. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm. 
much like this episode. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that could be... Oh, I didn't hear that. So I feel like that could be not any closer to the truth of what will probably happen. Mm-hmm. It would make, that makes sense. That's the way yeah. this podcast, I think, should go out. Like, both of us being just completely, like, you know, just going through the motions. It's like how they say, like, the brightest stars burn out the fastest or something. Like, ours oh. is not just that right? Right. That's out. true. <laughs> we're we're not a brilliant star in the universe we're like a little dingy thing you know just barely barely getting our glow on and, barely getting our glow on i like it and uh we're gonna stay dim like that uh for a very long time that's beautiful uh we won't even when we explode uh, or implode, whatever the fuck stars do. We won't even, we're not going to turn into a black hole. Nothing catastrophic like that. We'll just kind of like go out. No, it'll just be like, and that'll be it. Yeah. Um, anyway, on that note, we're all stars. We're all, yeah, we're all star stuff. We're all and parts Carl of, Sagan say that. yeah. We're all star stuff. We're all star stuff. Yeah, like, uh, like literally, it's in our blood. We're from an exploding star. And it's dust that passed into the wind and uh, landed on Earth, right? Okay, so it landed on Earth into the ocean. Okay, there was an ocean. Okay. But I was gonna say none of this is I, none of this is based um, in scientific fact, is it? No. Uh, of course it is. Uh, in the ocean, right? And so we're like these like amoebas in the ocean, and but water. Get this, Marine. Water is life. <laughs> yep. Just like uh, Nestle says, right? If there's water, there's life, right? <laughs> so yeah. from these amoebas, we we uh, something happened. We plugged in. We, we had turned a, into tadpoles. Yeah, cephalopods. What are cephalopods? Are they the ones that you don't have legs yet? No, they um, have like a shell and live in the ocean. But eventually, okay, so eventually that shell turned into um, some legs, right? You need legs. Uh, no, it's the brain. The shell turned into the brain. The brain first? Yeah. I thought it was legs sure. first. I no, it, was... it turned into the brain and the fingers and the fingernails because it's hard. And that's why your hair grows out of your head because it's made the same stuff as your fingernails and it's coming from your brain. Um, it's I the same stuff. I really think legs are more important than, than fingernails and fingers. Because you got to walk I mean, out of the ocean. You, you can kick with your legs, but can you scratch with your legs? You can scratch with your legs. Can you? You can't walk out of the ocean on your hands. Maybe you can. Yeah, but don't they like say, like, then we crawled our way out of the muck. We crawled our way out. Fine, Reen. We're... We're like cephalopods with hands and no legs, and we're crawling out of the ocean. Okay? Yeah. And then a dinosaur, like, comes down and eats us, right? But you bred before that happened. So your your siblings and your offspring crawl under out in the ocean after you, right? Then... Yeah, if they were just fingernails and hair and brain. Then an asteroid hits the Earth. Mm. and all the dinosaurs die, and then there's uh, alien sperm in the asteroid. Oh, that's what makes us smart? 
Yeah, and they come and they're like, what are these disgusting snails with fucking hands? That's not right. That's a freak of fucking nature. And they wipe them all out. So they don't, they don't, that's evolution. They don't exist anymore. That has nothing to do with us. Those things are gone. Those things are gone. That had nothing to do with us. Well, I mean, they were a delicacy among the alien species so in some way they created eating those created a mutation do you mean that the, the DNA aliens that, figured out a way you mean the aliens figured out a way to get through the defenses of the fingernails oh i mean well you know what if they had legs they might have had a chance yeah, you know uh anyway all right that's we gotta go we gotta go this right, is, i think it's Goodbye. been two hours Bye, Marina. It was nice talking to you. Wait, don't hang up, though. Don't hang up, though. I want to talk to you about something personal. Okay. All right. Podcast. Do-do-loo. Podcast. Two hoes. Two hoes. Four house on the hill. From Delco. Four house on the hill. Oh, yeah. That's a four house on the hill. Two hoes. Two hoes. Don't roll your skirt too short. Everybody's gonna wanna be up in that shorts.